the early 1660s up until the First World War, um, a member of public could exchange one of the banknotes for, for, um, for gold of the same value. Uh, so, for example, if you had a five-pound note, you could go into your bank and it could be exchanged for five gold coins. Sovereigns, they were called. Sadly, you can't get gold in exchange for your note anymore, so don't try. But the promise from the Bank of England still stands. You can still take any old or damaged banknote into your local branch in England, and they'll exchange it for a new one, lovely, shiny new one for the same value. So do put your notes away, and I think they were only lent, so I'm not sure that anybody's actually given them to their children. But today, we're continuing in our series on walking by the Spirit and looking at a promise that God makes in the Old Testament in the book of Joel. It's a promise that's worth far more than gold. God promises that he will pour out his Spirit on everyone who calls on his name to be saved. It's a promise that God will always keep, and we can all choose to ask for this promise. So this morning, we're going to have a look at the background to this promise in Joel, the fulfillment of the promise in the New Testament, what this promise means for each one of us, and finally, we'll have an opportunity to respond to God's promise to pour out his Spirit on each one of us. So let me pray. Father God, take my words and speak through them. Take our ears that we can hear you through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. So firstly, let's have a think about the book of Joel. So last week, John spoke to us about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, looking at the promise in the book of Ezekiel that God will give us new hearts. This week, we're looking at the Holy Spirit in the book of Joel. Joel is one of the minor prophets, so John talked a bit about the major prophets, and it's not because he's less important, but it's because it is a very short book. The book of Joel is only three chapters long, but it does explore very profound ideas about God's purposes for his people, Israel, and ultimately for all of humanity. We don't know very much about Joel, who he was, or exactly when the book was written, but scholars think it's probably written after the return of the exiles, similar time to Ezra and Nehemiah, about 400 BC, so a long time ago. Joel is very well versed in the writings of other Old Testament prophets, and he writes using poetry and pictures to expand the warnings and promises that we can see in the other Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. Joel, in his very short book, gives a powerful summary of the story of God and his people, Israel. He shows how sin leads to disaster, but God's mercy creates hope. He looks forward to the future and the completion of God's rescue plan when he will fully defeat evil and bring salvation to all people and all his creation. The very beginning of the book of Joel, he recalls a recent plague of locusts that invaded and devastated Israel. 
Joel reminds us that human sin and failure will lead to harm and destruction in our world. In a similar way to other Old Testament prophets, Joel talks about the day of the Lord coming, when we will all have to give an answer for our bad decisions and the impact they have had on other people and of all God's creation. But Joel says this is not the end. He recalls God's character from Exodus 34. And in chapter 2, verse 13, he reminds us, God is full of mercy, for he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. We can return to God. He will restore our lives. God's mercy and love for all he has created is more powerful than any judgment or anger. In verse 12, Joel tells us, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. It's not just about putting on a show of being sorry. Joel talks about it not just being about rending our garments, tearing our clothes. It is about a whole change of heart. Through Joel, God promises that Israel will be restored and that he will pour out his blessing on all those who have repented of all the wrong they've done and turned their lives around to follow God. God longs to be close to us. And the great promise in Joel chapter 2 and 28 and 29 is that the Spirit of God will rest not just in the temple or around the people, but on every individual. God's Spirit will live in and through all who have returned to him with all their heart. This picture in Joel of God's Spirit being poured out on everyone is a very radical vision that challenges the cultural norms of the time when he was writing. Israel was hierarchical and patriarchal, where with a very few notable exceptions, it was the older, free men who were at the top of the social structure. The pattern in the Old Testament had been for God's Spirit to rest on a handful of people for a particular purpose, usually priests and prophets and kings. But Joel, through Joel, God gives a promise that in future his Spirit will rest on everyone, regardless of their age or their social status or their gender or their race so that they can truly love and follow him. But the big question is, when exactly is this going to happen? Well, I'm sure many of us recognize this passage from Joel, not because we've spent a lot of time reading the whole book of Joel, but because it is this passage that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Before his ascension to heaven, Jesus told his followers to wait in Jerusalem. For the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 1. The 120 disciples and followers were gathered together in Jerusalem when they were powerfully filled by the Holy Spirit and enabled by the Spirit, they publicly declared the wonders of God to the crowd that were there. The crowd were amazed and confused 
and some of them accused the followers of being drunk. In Acts 2, 14 and 16, we read, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Look, says Peter, this prophecy that was given to Joel, it's trustworthy and it's true, and it's starting to be fulfilled today. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit on God's people starts with this very small group of Jewish Christian believers in Jerusalem. But already we know that they are a diverse group. In Acts 1.14, we're told there are women amongst the 120 followers of Christ waiting in that room. It is only the beginning. The Holy Spirit has poured, been poured out as the promised gift from the crucified, risen, and ascended Jesus. All that Jesus promised has been accomplished, and the Holy Spirit is the confirmation that it is true. Starting in Jerusalem and spreading throughout the whole known world, Joel's prophecy is realized in the church. As we read through the book of Acts, we see Jews, Samaritans, Ethiopians, Greeks, Romans, men, women, slave and free, young and old, repent and turn to Jesus and personally receive the promised blessing of God's Holy Spirit. We recently spent some time studying Galatians and we were reminded that it is through our faith in Christ we're able to receive the blessing given to Abraham and the promised Holy Spirit. That Spirit will be poured out on all, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, all are one in Christ Jesus. So this promise in Joel and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit set God's people ablaze with his power and authority and his vision. Joel talks about prophecy, dreams, and visions. In Acts, the believer's tongues are set free to declare God's glory. It seems that one of the purposes of God's Holy Spirit is for us to be set free to declare the mighty wonders of God not just something that is personal and private, but to equip us to show others the way to Jesus. This promise that God will pour out his Holy Spirit on all who turn to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour is available to each one of us today. The author and pastor Simon Ponsonby has written a very readable and honest book about our longing for more in our Christian lives. And his book is called more. He challenges us to not settle and remain with what might seem a small faith, but to claim God's promise to pour out his Holy Spirit on all of us. Let me quote just a little bit from his book. The promise is there in black and white on the printed page and in crimson red on the cross. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. 
But are we, his people, promise seekers and promise takers? When did you last, uh, last ask God to give you more of his Holy Spirit? For we all know that God, with God, we, we not only get more than we deserve, but more than we expect. Under your seat this morning, there is a promissory note from the bank of God's kingdom. And you should have a pen as well. God has promised to pour out his spirit on everyone who has turned away from going their own way and turned towards Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you would like to claim God's promise, there is a space on this note for you to write or sign your name. If you're not sure that you know Jesus as Lord of your life, we would love to be able to pray for you. So do speak to me or to Fran after the service. So as you take a moment to sign your notes, I'm just going to pray for all of us. Father God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we may know fully the love of Christ, which passes all understanding. Know fully what it is to be filled to the fullness of God. Know fully the Spirit conforming us into Christ's image. And know fully the power to be your witness to the world. Amen.